1: Welcome to Off the Looking Glass. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smetana. It is the closing days of the World Cup, Jess, and at least the rest of the world has been going bonkers over the game of football. Uh, Yes, It's
2: been a great tournament for everyone except the U.S. So kudos to them.
1: I cannot wait to see who wins. But we have got to get back to our roots, Jess. Ooh. What are our roots? Yeah, and you know what they are. The basketball, the hooping. And we've got an amazing guest on today's show. I like—I just recorded the hype intro for her, and I was like, damn, she has won a lot of different things. And she's doing really cool stuff in her post-playing career, not to mention her music, which we will drop samples of in this episode, Jess. But we have Angel McCautree. Woo-hoo! That's right. And we have a campfire, a really cool campfire for anyone who saw the movie Against the Ropes. A Meg Ryan vehicle back in the day, Jess. Mm. We have boxing legend Jackie Kellen, who represents fighters and is one of the first women to break into that industry. She's gonna tell us some stories from inside the ropes. Let's get to it.
0: <laughs> uh,
3: uh, yeah, I'm from Baltimore.
1: What up, I- legend? Our guest today is a two-time Olympic gold medalist with Team USA Basketball. She's a five-time WNBA All-Star, seven-time selection to the WNBA All-Defensive First Team. She was the 2009 Rookie of the Year and a member of the WNBA's 25th anniversary team. She is also the founder of of Legacy Management, an all-female management company, and her EP, Student of the Game, is in NBA 2K. All right, let's do it. Let's bring her on, Angel McCautree. The way I
3: drink, I'm a legend. score, the way I think, I'm a legend.
1: When I say is it legacy agency what am I emphasizing is it like legend agency how do I blend
3: it Yeah that's pretty much the blend it's legacy legend and agency mixed I have spent
1: years covering female athletes so I'm like dealing with the people around female athletes. I've always been curious, like, okay, how many options are there? And then among those options, like who is good at what? So kind of take me inside like your experience and then what led to thinking, you know, there's room in this space for me to do something different.
3: Yeah. I mean, I just think that like, you know, we need to see more uh, women players, NBA players doing different things, entrepreneurship, ownership, as we're seeing now more than before. I remember when I first came to the league, you just didn't see it as often. I think uh, more women are seeing that the power and ownership and being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So I definitely wanted to do different things just to see what I liked, you know. I believe in like trying different lanes per se.
1: You kinda of hinted at it just now, but when you first came into the league, it was like a whole different world, it feels like, in terms of me, even talking like to Simone Augustus, she'd be like, people would be saying less things because they were just like, We gotta keep our league afloat versus now where it feels like you can whatever lane you wanna occupy, there's like you can try it. So can you articulate a little bit of like
3: what you've seen changing? Oh, I've seen so much change. it stems so deep. Like First, it changed with women players speaking out about things in-house. The men can do it anytime they want. (laughs) They get praised for. But it was like women were always scared for their job to speak out on things that made, whether it was injustice in the workplace, due to anything as far as racism, anything. Especially black athletes. It's just just that fear like, this is my job. We don't get, get paid that much anyway, right? So it's like, can't lose my job. Can't speak up. I was always one of them ones that I didn't care. I was speaking up. You know, back then... I was the type, people was like, oh, well, you know, when a, especially when a black athlete speaks up and a black woman, oh, she's a mad black woman, she's a troublemaker, Is this. It's like, no, I'm just speaking on things I see that may not be right. You know what I'm saying? So you yeah. had that, and then you just had, like, you know, you never wanted to overstep any boundaries as far as, like, you know, when you speak out about, like, hey, we may need to get more pay or this, that, and it's like, oh, we might be scared to that our league may fold if we can speak out on that. If We can't afford a lockout like the men because our league could fold. It, it was just, like, so many things at this You know, you had so many fears that people kept their mouth shut on a lot of things. Um, But I was always one that I just was like, listen, you know. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But now, I think times have changed. You know what I mean? I remember one time I said, somehow TMZ caught me in New York. And they were like, hey, ask me a question about league. I was like, you know, it would be nice. I would love to make as much in my country playing a sport than overseas. And then that blew up. And then uh, all the girls were like, hit me on the group chat like, yo, this is dope, like, this this is true, you know, they were supporting it. And I think I saw more people after that just really just speaking out on different things, you know, the the pay and the things like that. Of course, I got a lot of negative backlash. Of
4: course. You will
3: never get what the men get. Yeah. You guys aren't, uh, I never compared us to the men. I never said that we need to get what the men get. I never mentioned the men. It just like, people are so quick to compare us so fast. And it was like, I was just saying the, that simple fact that, you know, because I would get my WBA salary more than my WBA salary in one month overseas. It's yeah. like the value. You can't tell me that Superhurst, Diana Taurasi, Ken's Parker, they're valued less than a million with their brands alone. Come on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I remember I was talking like Megan Rapinoe at one point. She's like, how can it be that like some Fortune 500 business will have me zoom in for an hour and I make more in that hour than I make in a season playing in the WSL? Like there is something yeah. wrong with our business structure if I'm valued over here like a hundredfold
3: what I'm valued over here.
1: So it's nice to see that it's not evened out, but it's getting there.
3: Yeah. It's getting there. And and, uh, I think that's the main thing about it. Like, you know, obviously we have like sports bars now and in Portland that just play women's sports It's like the value is starting to be shown. Yep. And I think it it has stemmed from us speaking out a little bit because when the Dumb Bay first came out, there was this momentum and you had Cheryl Swoops and, Cynthia Cooper, they all had their shoes out, and they were all in commercials, and then it was just like, we had this dip of just, it was like, the value had just gone down. It was like, we didn't keep up. Now the value is going back up, but we want to keep it up, you know? Another issue is that this, right? Like what Angel Reese said, oh, I'm not in a rush to go to the NBA. I'm making so much money in college. Okay, that's another issue. We can't have college players making more than pros. They're not going to be excited to come play in the pro. You know, if if I'm making $2 million in college, I want to stay in college forever. Yep. Rookies make what after taxes yeah. fifty thousand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gone up to seventy, but to taxes. Yeah. I was making. I told you I was number one pick in two thousand nine, and I was making forty four as a number one pick. Forty four, and uh, tax what? I probably got thirty six of it. I mean, it's it's hard Come to on. even
1: fathom that.
3: And that's the number one pick. You talking about people in the um after like the first four, the number fifth pick, six, seven is not even getting that. It goes down. Yep. After number. One pick. Yeah. So come on, it's like, come on.
1: So for you, I mean I know a little bit that you you've always been doing things outside of hoop. Always thought about things outside of hoop. That's not always the case, right? Like, you know, you know a lot of players who are, like Diana will always be like I'm all about ball. I mean, I don't know that I fully believe her, but like, you know, people <laughs> will say that. What was yeah. it what's it been like for you even though you're always doing things outside of hoop? I would say that most people see you as a
3: basketball player.
1: Was that ever hard for you or were you like, no, you know that's where I'm making my name and that's fine like how did you how did you do that when it came to your own identity about how you felt?
3: It was hard when I when I started to get other passions that I was serious about because it was like I had released a song back in 2011 and it was called baby I'm a star't star. forget
1: it. I'm gonna show you my commitment.
3: everybody was like, oh, what are you doing? Why are you making music? You're a basketball player stay in your lane. It's like we're so one-track minded. And it's like now, okay. I'm glad I didn't listen because I had my first uh, sync placement on the video game. One of my songs is in 2K video Dude, game, and I
1: love it. It's so good. I was listening to it. You get what I'm
3: saying? Yeah. So it's like you know, when you have these other passions, it's like the one track mind doesn't want to give you that.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, what I mean? it's just like, for example, I-, I always like to use like, let's say Will Smith. He was a rapper at first, right? And all
2: I could say to myself was, "Damn, this boy is smooth."
3: Hey, okay, now he's a pronounced actor. It's like it's okay for people to kind of find other passions. Why not?
2: People can't do something themselves. They want to tell you, you can't do it.
3: You know what I mean? So I think it was hard in that aspect at first. I think, um, you know, people start to get used to it. And now they say, okay, she's an entrepreneur. She's getting into the movie scenes. She has an ice cream shop. Okay, Angel likes to do different things. But that comes with people knowing us. You know, it's like people know LeBron, but they never met him. Right? But it's like, okay, LeBron can just do whatever he wants because we know him. We're cool with, you know, but it's like a Dumb Bay player. They don't know us, so they don't know our interests and in our hobbies or our stories. We all know LeBron's story, right, where he's from, his background. They don't know our story, so it's kind of like they kind of got to get to know us over and over because they don't know Dumb Bay players as well. And that's where I, I want the more more storytelling in our league. I want them to get to know us better because when they get to know us better, the fan base will go up. Nobody will go to an NBA game if they don't know who they're watching. Yeah. If it's Phoenix versus Denver, they don't know who they're watching. It's just gonna be like, Okay, I'm here, but okay, who's that? Who, that's what what happens when they come to Vegas? It's like they know like one player on a team. Yeah. Right? Barely. Or yeah. Barely. The max, like if you're gonna go watch Vegas, you may know probably the starting five. And the rest is like, like who's this? Who's that? But everybody don't have as many stars as Vegas.
1: No, 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 they don't.
3: <laughs> look at where we are without half the promotion or marketing as the men and look where we're at. Yep market it like them. It will work.
1: Yeah. Imagine if people actually invested because it's working with almost no investment.
3: Yes. Yes. So imagine like it will work. It will make money. Mm -hmm. We're doing this now without half of what the men have. And we're already doing some amazing things. Imagine if you guys invested and and got to know us and and our stories were more out there and we're in more commercials. It will work.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So when you started like who did you have in mind? Not a specific person, but like the model of like who you wanted to work with?
3: I would say first it started because I saw a lot of the girls were like, they want to do different things and they just didn't know how, or they didn't just have anybody pushing for them. Same thing I went through. I was like, I want to do so many things. I just didn't have that person really pushing as hard for me. And then I was like, you know, I want to work with top tier women athletes. Like, I mean, they don't even have to be top tier. I just want to work with women athletes and help them in, in different lanes. That, you know, if, a, if a, the big place, hey, Angel, I want to do music. Okay. Come holler at We'll get you in, in some music stuff and help, hopefully we can help you get some placements, right? Or, if, you know, I'm getting to the movie stuff now. The girl said, hey, Angel, I want to learn how to do production and, and we live in Atlanta. All right, let's put you with some of those contacts. It really was for that purpose because I feel like, you know, as women, we got to connect the dots more, you know, and help each other in those lanes. That's what I, really the goal was to help bridge that gap. So these girls can have more of an opportunity outside of basketball and get into these rooms and have these conversations. Yeah.
1: What's it feel like? Cause you were number one pick in 2009 and we're seeing the angel Reese's all of the college players we can name. We know they are going to be making good money from the changes that have happened that you fought for that have just happened in college sports. Can you also benefit from this? Or do you feel like that's for them and your ability to maximize on certain things is maybe in the next generation? How do you weigh that?
3: It will benefit us when the brands start to tie in the legend players. So, like, you know, for all the NIL deals that are going to Angel, Reese, Plaget, tie in Simone Augustus with it. Tie in Sylvia Files with it because they missed the mark of having NIL, which they would have capitalized just like that, right? Bring them back into it. Obviously, when Haley Van Leef was in Louisville, she's like one of the top NIL. Tie in Angel McCarthy with her. She's a legend that they look up to that paved the way for them, right? So I feel like they tie... These legends back into a bring back show swoops. You know, why is NIL start with college? Let's bring the brands and tie in the legends with the college players. It could work. You
1: see anybody doing that? Because I feel like you're onto something.
3: I have not yet. Every college has that legend player that they can tie with one of the young superstars. Yeah. NIL. And well, then you got something here. That's yeah. how they can capitalize. Yeah. Because they, no. they deserve it. They deserve it. Like these legends deserve that.
1: Exactly. It, the brand would be doing a lot of like mythologizing that needs to be done so that you're not acting like Haley or Caitlyn Clark are the first of their kind. You're like, no, no, yeah. no, we've been doing this. We've been doing this for a long time.
3: a long time. And I feel like, you know, even like um Isla has like started, they went to the final four. You know, many, many people don't remember that. Yeah. They with with, with C. Vivian Stringer, I think they went to the final four once. Yeah. So, um, I know, I can't remember the star players. I have to go back and look it up. But whoever that star player was during that time, they helped me get that final four. Ty Heron with Caitlyn Clark. Yeah. Why are they done? I remember I did it once. Um, in Louisville. I did a commercial with Daryl Griffin. And it was a cute commercial, and he was like, "Hey, Angel, you, you want to see me put a quarter on top of the uh, the backboard? Because he used to could jump that high." Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was like, "You talking about this quarter?" And I flicked it, and he caught it. It was so cute, like little stuff like that. <laughs> I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look that commercial up. I hope it's on the internet. <laughs> I find that commercial. It was it was so dope with Daryl Griffin. So like, they tied in a legend player, and I was like hot at the time. I was in my prime. I was the biggest thing smoking in Louisville. So they brought him back to do something with me because he was a, a legend. So I think that'll work, man. Yeah, this is a
1: good idea. You got to run with this. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I think I read. I don't know if it's accurate. You can confirm. Are you you Paris twenty twenty four still on your radar? It
3: is. Okay, cool. I I've been working, man. Um, I've been working on my game and continuing. Um, I'm not on the team now, but I'm hopefully you know it doesn't affect me because I did well at USA Basketball the last time I went and I felt like I was I was up to par where I needed to be from injuries and stuff like that. So that's still on my radar. I'm gonna keep manifesting. Yeah, and I'm gonna keep on. Believing in it, because if I do do twenty four, that will be my last one. Yeah, and I would love to go out that way. That would be a nice way to go out. That'd be awesome. Instead of being. Injured.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's your like? I have my own little philosophy about why we're at the moment we're at now, and th- by that I just mean like women's sports are hot right now, and I think it's a lot of factors. Like when you think about the last decade, what are the few things you point to that you think have led us to this moment?
3: Yeah, um, women's finally speaking out and speaking their mind. Us showing that we have power numbers, like we killed a 2020, like how we helped uh, Warnock in his campaign, how we stuck together against social injustice and Black Lives Matter and different things like that, different initiatives, like we killed it. We came up with the idea first to put the phrase on the back of the jersey, then the NBA followed our idea and stuff like that. Like we've shown like, hey, our voices are really heard. We know how to make a difference. Those are some of the differences I see, like just us really, really sticking together, speaking out and doing it together. You know, when you do it together, it's more powerful than doing it individually. Yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
1: The transfer portal is both like amazing and also just blows my mind. Like I'm like, how is college sports the way it is right now? Because it just was the one way for so long. When you look at it, are you like, I wish I had played in that time? Or are you like, I'm glad I wasn't playing during that time?
3: I don't want to change the time I came out because it was so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I just want to change like how things are now to that time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so- the only thing I would change like the structure now to put in that time yeah you know because i'm i didn't know that coaches could offer when they were recruiting you like say hey i can get you 80k to 100k nil i didn't know they can do that i just found that out he says i'm like okay so i would love to have been recruited and be like hey i can get you i mean because every kid is broke i mean i I was a star athlete in college and i I remember i spent all my money on on rent and everything i didn't have much left i had to call my mom i'm like mom yeah you put me a pizza i'm hungry i don't have any money left i'm a star athlete and she had to order me a pizza because i was starving I ran out of money, so that would have been great doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. Like I remember being like
1: wanting to go see a movie in the theater and kind of wondering, does everybody have seven dollars <laughs> to do that? Yeah,
3: yeah. the kids would have, don't have to worry about that today. They're not going to have to call their mom to order the pizza, no. which is
1: great. No, there's just very shiny Mercedes that I see, and I'm like, that's a that's yeah. nice, <laughs> a nice looking car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing I've been thinking a lot about and wanting to know people who are like, who are so deep in it. When you look at the future of women's sports, it can feel like our only model is like, okay, what is the men, like if we're 30 years behind the men, then I guess in 30 years, women's sports will look like men's sports. I don't know that that's the right idea though. I mean, I would hope the WNBA and like the collective bargaining agreement, they'd be like, let's do things differently, whatever that means, right? Like whether it means, having more childcare, right? Having more paid leave, just whatever women might want that is different than men. So the the broad question is like, when you think about the future of women's sports, like what's your kind of, and working in it, what's your vision for it?
3: My vision, I I definitely see like, you know, how women's tennis did it. You know, they grew it really, really well to the point right now it's like, it's a big deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? see that for women's basketball. I also see that in 25 years we are farther along than the NBA was in 25 years. So I do see a lot of growth. I always say, I always say, I said this 10 years ago in a lot of interviews. I said men's basketball is pretty set. The beauty of women's basketball is like evolution. You ever see that evolution chart? That's like women's basketball. More women, I said 10 years from now, more women are going to be dunking than ever before and that's happening. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking another 10 years, I mean, just going to be just some amazing things to see. The only thing that hurts women's basketball, you watch tennis, you know the men hit the ball harder, but you don't really notice the significant difference. In soccer, the men kick it harder, but you don't really see the significant difference. You know the men swim faster, but you don't really see the significant difference. When you watch LeBron jump vertically, yeah. and you watch a woman jump vertically, there's such a big difference to compare than any other sport men and woman, if that makes sense. No, yeah, It does. So It's like when you compare her heart, Serena hits to Roger Federer, you don't really see you just know he does, yeah, but you, you, know, you see it like, oh, something miles per hour, but you just don't really see it. You see it in basketball, how high they get compared to us. That's the only thing that hurts basketball compared to any other sport. Mm-hmm. the vertical that's yep. the only thing. so if there's a way where we can continue to like continue to be more athletic and more things like that, that is really going to help us, yeah, because you can see the vertical difference in our sport than any other sport,
1: yeah. No, that's a good point.
3: Never thought about it
1: like that. Well, like the way I've always thought about it is like how in football you have a helmet on. You can't see them. And basketball is so personal. And But you just articulated like what is so personal about it also is like the physical manifestation of the athlete. But like sometimes people who haven't watched the NBA in a while tuned into the NBA playoffs and they're like, oh my God, the NBA players are so big. They're almost too big now. Like it's almost like they have to soften a layup when they do it because they're so much bigger than the game was yeah. 30, 40 years ago. So maybe women will be the perfect size and athleticism in like 10 years and the men will just like keep evolving beyond.
3: Yeah, but here's the beauty of everything that just happened with um, the Final Four. Everybody yeah. was more interested in the women's Final Four than the men's Final Four this year. This was the first time I've ever seen it. Yeah. People were, I, so Some people were like, well, the men's Final Four, huh? Eh? Yep. The women's though. I was like, whoa, men's this is big, women. right? <laughs> it was more interesting to watch the women this year than the men, it was like, that is big. And it was the first time that ever happened. Like, I was like, mm-hmm. and we all felt that. Like, the woman's was more yes. kind of almost exciting. More yes. exciting. Yes.
1: Well, Angel, thank you so much for your time. I always love talking to you. You're so fun and easy to talk to. So, thank you. Appreciate that.
4: while you're living your life you're so busy doing what you're doing getting up every day running here running there you don't really think about it as fodder for a movie or a book but then when you look back on it you just start to see it as more of a story that people might be interested in and i've just been blessed to be surrounded by iconic people like elvis and the rolling stones and muhammad ali and michael jackson and frank sinatra you know When you look back on it, it's like, wow, you know, I did that, or I met this one. But at the time that you're living it, you don't think about it like a movie plot. It's been a long, interesting journey for me. Just a small town, Detroit, which isn't really a small town, but where I lived in the area was just, everybody knew everybody, Jewish community, just an average kid, discovered that I could write at a very young age, started winning contests, went right into journalism in high school, Started interviewing people quite young for a local paper, moved to New York when I was 19, wrote for a paper there, did some amazing interviews, came back, got married, had a couple kids, worked for a a paper here, mostly covered entertainment, went to the Oscars, the Emmys, uh, the Tonys, you know, all those awards. And then in the 70s, added sports writing to my resume and boxing became a sport that I covered. So I fell into the boxing world. No women were doing it. So it was like, wow, this is very interesting. And I got involved as a boxing writer, then a boxing publicist, then a boxing manager, and later on a promoter as well. And uh, I found an interesting niche for myself. It was an easy jump from a reporter to a publicist. Going into management was a little different because taking over someone's career it took a little bit of a learning curve. Eventually I learned. I mean, I was in the boxing business for 10 years before I even attempted to manage. And now I've been managing for 35 years. So something that you learn as you go. I was fascinated by the sport because it's almost like a ballet. It's the way these guys move and the timing it took, not to mention the mental acuity to, to make the right move at the right time. I was really taken by the scientific side of the sport. And it's one-on-one. It's not like you know, you're know you on a team, like a football team or anything. It's just you climbing through those ropes and facing someone who's ready to take your head off. And you have to be clever enough to be defensive and offensive at the same time. And I was fascinated at the way that they appeared to hate each other and then they'd be done with the fight and they'd hug each other and it was over. You know, if only the whole world could be that simple where you can go to war and then when it's over, hug it out. I found aspects of the sport that appealed to me and that I could relate to. And it's more than just arranging the fights and going over the contracts. It's picking the right opponent at the right time because you don't want to put your fighter in with someone too much better too soon because he's liable to get beat. But you, again, don't want to put him in with stiffs all the time. So he keeps winning, but he isn't beating anybody of quality. Then he thinks he's better than he is. So it's psychologically challenging to make the right moves at the right time. And then it takes a bit of a therapist, in a way, to understand the psychology behind your boxer. Some guys think they're fabulous and they're just not that good yet. You have to kind of talk them down. And other guys have a little bit of a lack of confidence. They're excellent fighters, but they don't know how good they are. So you have to build their confidence to make them feel that they're as good as they actually are. There were some fighters that said, oh, my God, I'm not having a girl manage me. Oh, my God, how embarrassing. And then there were others that said, look at how motherly and kind and, and look how nurturing she is, you know. I want a manager like that that comes to the gym every day and brings me things and buys me outfits and you know I spoiled my fighters you know I was like mama hen to them and I was just there for them to listen to their problems they had issues with their wives and girlfriends or whatever I was there to help sort it out and I was as much of a sounding board as I was a manager so it became a plus and then other fighters started coming to me saying well I see what you're doing for Bobby or for Kenny and can you do that for me and all of a sudden I became in demand instead of being shunned it was like a cool thing to have a woman manager so it was a little of both but eventually it all swung to the positive side where they were kind of seeking me out There were no other women that I could talk to about it at the time and say, well, what did you do when this guy hit on you? Or what did you do when, you know, certain things happened? And so I just had to kind of figure it out. And I did. And I found humor worked a lot, you know, just a way of avoiding conflict. And I also learned not to burn any bridges because you'd have to work with these same people down the line. So you didn't really want to cut anybody off and you didn't really want to you know act offended you just wanted to skirt the issue with as much class as you could and just move forward and then they did the movie well it was, it's about as inaccurate as you can get as far as the details that's what Hollywood does you know they say oh we love your story a married woman raising kids dealing with your husband and having all these spiders living in your house oh what a conflict oh how great then they buy the story and they went, no, you don't need a husband. We don't We don't need to cast. Oh, wait, kids? You don't need kids. I think you should be single. Oh, you're from Detroit? No, we'll make you from Cleveland. By the time the movie came out, it was like, huh? Who is that person? She has blonde hair and she's got a lot of balls, but that's not me. They changed the story. And Meg Ryan, who's America's sweetheart at the time, you know, that little cutesy Tom Hanks girlfriend kind of thing that isn't me, but that's who they chose. And it was like, live with it, you know, that's who's gonna play you. And I mean, the movie as a whole was cute. It was, it shows you, you can break through the glass ceiling, you can do whatever you want. But anyone that knows me just walked out of the theater and said, who was that?
0: Hello, Off the Looking Glass fans. It's me, Connie Kubert Culkin, and I'm back with another strange but true moment in women's sports. We all remember when Carrie Strug landed her vault in the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. What the media wanted you to focus on was her ankle injury. She is
2: hurt
4: badly.
0: If you scramble all the letters in Carrie Allison Strug, you get an ominous, sorry ankle, girl, sit. But what I am here to open your eyes to is the fact that the girl's future was out of her control the minute her foot hit the runway. The score the judges gave her that day was 9.712. 9712, a.k.a. September 7th, 1912. The birthday of electrical engineer David Packard. David passed away just four months before Carrie competed in the Atlanta Olympics. David is the co-founder of Hewitt Packard, or HP for short. They're famous now for making printers. I know for a fact that the spirit of David Packard entered Carrie Strug's body that day. It is the only possible explanation for Carrie's career choices post Olympics. Before HP made printers, their first product was an audio frequency oscillator, and eight of them were sold to Walt Disney Studios for sound tests for Fantasia. After retiring from gymnastics, Carrie skated for World of Disney on Ice. David Packard attended Stanford University in 1934, and Kerry transferred to and graduated from Stanford in 2001. During the Nixon administration, David was the U.S. Deputy Secretary of Defense, and in 2005, Kerry was a presidential appointee in the DOJ under President George W. Bush. It all seems a little too coincidental that a nice girl from Tucson, Arizona with a promising athletic career would live a life resembling that of a dead billionaire man. I'm convinced he just wanted a do-over, and he's using poor carry to get it. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, please listen, like, and subscribe to Connie Spiracy Theory, your place for all things conspiracy and women's sports. Now back to your program.
1: All right, well, we're breaking news here on Off the Looking Glass, yeah. Jess, because what we've just revealed is that apparently Hollywood, when it gets hold of a
2: true story, sometimes dramatizes it beyond recognition. I mean, who knew? I certainly have not heard that for decades about the film Rudy, Kate. Mm. But you know what? Mm. If Hollywood's going to dramatize anything, it's as long as it's not dramatizing a Clint Eastwood script about boxing called Million Dollar Baby, because <laughs> if you can recall... Back a year ago, Kate. Still, Mm. probably, if we had to rate the movies we watched, one of our least favorites. Yeah, Yeah, it still sticks
1: in our craw, so to speak. (laughs) Jess, so Rudy wasn't verbatim. No, it wasn't. Highly
2: dramatized based on a true story. But, you know, that's okay because if it was supposed to be totally true, it would have been a documentary and it wasn't. It Mm -hmm. was a Disney movie. And it certainly added to the luster
1: of your Notre Dame football mm-hmm. lore. in uh, the, the alma mater. tale of Rudy. Yeah. Yeah. Your alma mater. All right, Jess, that'll do it for Off the Looking
2: Glass this week. Do you want to tell people who makes this excellent show? Thanks to you, Kate, for producing and co-hosting Off the Looking Glass, and to Anya Alvarez, our producer, for helping us put everything together.
1: Carl Scott is the executive producer of Off the Looking Glass, and Joel Shupak is our sound designer. And, of course... Big thank you to Angel McCautree. You can check out her management company, Legacy, and also Jackie Kellen for stopping by the pod. We'll see you next week. Bye.